one of our new series called Help. And what we're going to be talking about for the next four weeks is the art of parenting. And it isn't exclusively for those who will have procreate and have biological children. Really what this series is aimed at is anyone in this world has any level of passion, commitment, involvement, desire to invest in the lives of the next generation, whether it be through employment, being a manager, being a leader, being a mentor, being an older sibling, being someone, a role model, or of course, being a parent. Again, in our world, the church world, you can, you can be like a spiritual parent, a spiritual father, a spiritual mother to people, or of course, you can be a physical one. And the truth is, Parenting is so fascinating because in this country, to drive a vehicle, you need to get a license. Like you have to do tests, you have to go through examinations, you have to get all these different things, and you have to go to the insurance debacle to be able to drive a car. But to become a parent, well, you fill in the blanks. Not literally, but you know what I'm saying, think about it. And all of a sudden, as an individual person who was once a child who had parents, now you're a parent of a child. And I was always someone who, despite my upbringing, and over the next couple weeks, I'm going to tell you a little bit about my story and my experience uh, growing up, the good, the bad, and of course, there was plenty of ugly. But I was always someone, despite all I went through personally, I knew in my heart I wanted to be a father. I just, I just had that in me. I wanted to one day have kids of my own, and I wanted to start early. That's why I know some of you watching right now are about to get your leaving cert results, and a big congratulations. Regardless of the results, you did it. Well done. And I want to show our appreciation going for all of our leaving cert and junior cert students. Um, I know it's a big deal. But believe it or not, uh, the week I got my leaving certificate results, I got uh, baptized on a Tuesday. I got married. No, sorry, I got, should I say, I got uh, my leaving cert results on a Tuesday, baptized on a Wednesday, and I'm married on a Thursday. So I was actively planning my wedding while sitting my leaving cert. I don't recommend it, but I did it. And I just knew that I wanted, I didn't want to wait. I wanted to start my family early, and I wanted to be a father. And so whenever I've gone through tough times, which there are many, and I'll share some of those horror stories as well, as a parent, I have to keep reminding myself that I chose this. Like I'm not a victim of someone else's willpower. Like I wanted this. And there's lots of stories, but one story I'll kick off with uh, takes me back to a family break that we went on a few years ago to the beautiful island of Aranmore in County Donegal. Anyone ever been to the island of Aranmore? 
in Donegal. It's absolutely beautiful. You to drive all the way to Donegal, right to the west coast, out to Burtonport. There's a really good lobster place there, by the way. And you catch the ferry, you go across to Armour, and this lovely little quaint island. There's a few roads and not much to do other than drive around and explore and walk and hike and stuff. But um, at the time, I had just bought an old Land Rover, and so any time I was driving on the road and I saw like tracks that led to nowhere, I had this insatiable urge just to drive that way. Anyone with me? I just wanted to, to explore and figure out and push the limits of this car, and so we had some fun moments, I and mean, we also had some scary moments on that trip. But one particular day, we saw this, this, this beach that was way down that you couldn't really get to. It looked like, to me, only tractors could get to it. And of course, where, where most people saw an obstacle, the way I'm wired, I saw an opportunity. And so I turned right and went off-road and made my way slowly and all the bumps and shakes and you know, knocks and cracks and all those things. And eventually came to this beautiful little stone beach in Ironmore. Now, we had prepared for this because that day we said, let's go out as a family, let's create some memories, it's supposed to be a break, remember? And so we had prepared lunch, we had like little lunch boxes and sandwiches, and we're going to find this beautiful picturesque part of our wonderful island and create this family memory. Well, not so long after we arrived, uh, I was walking out of the car towards the beach to expect where we were and where would be a good place to sit, and I realized it was a stone beach, so there was nowhere to sit. So that's okay, we'll sit in the car. All of a sudden, my wife calls me for help, and I, uh, as the great husband that I am, I swiftly and dutifully and immediately came to her rescue. Not really, but eventually I listened to her and I came to the car to find out that one of our children had an accident, and it wasn't the number one accident, it was the number two accident, in his trousers, because we are, we love being parents, but we decided, I don't know how much was decision and how much it was, you know, indecision, but we, ended, we ended up having two kids in one year, Irish twins, so like 12 months apart. So we basically had like twins. So we're in the process of potty training them on a beach in Donegal, and all of a sudden one of them has an accident that basically, you know, they've done it in their pants. And so my wife's attitude is like, this is your problem. And I'm like, man. So I'm thinking, what am I going to do? And there's, you know, some of you are parents, you know, there's just certain situations that baby wipes cannot redeem. Like there's certain things that are just beyond the miracle working power of Huggies baby wipes. And this is one of those moments. So I try to think, okay, stripping naked, da da da. And then I realize I have nature's washing machine. So I'm down in the water, like, baptizing the lower half of my son, <laughs> trying to get that sorted out. I come back to the car to find that my other son had also been inspired by his brother's actions, maybe thought, I only baptized too. So he also did number two in his pants. And so as I pulled him out of the car, brought him down to the ocean and baptized him, my oldest was now nagging me. So I had these three kids, two in one arm, you know, stuff everywhere. My other kid, I go back to the car and my wife has decided that the only way to deal with this debacle is to lock the doors <laughs> and lock us all out and sit there eating her potato crisps and her sandwich as I realize I'm a parent and I need help. And we were so inspired by that story that a couple of years later we decided to have a fourth child. So there you go, we're gluttons for punishment. But it was in that moment that I realized, man, I love being a father, and I love having kids, but man, parenting is hard. It's just 
hard. And so in this series, what we want to do, what we're endeavoring to do, is to give you some help. And more importantly, point you towards your heavenly Father, who I believe is interested more than anything else in how we invest in the lives of other people. So today, part one is called Car Seat to Driver's Seat. Car Seat to Driver's Seat. It was Sandra Stanley who said this. She said, when it comes to parenting, I love this quote, the days are long, but the years are short. When some of you who are a bit uh, more mature in life and maybe your kids are older, you know exactly what this means. Like on the one hand, we have in our household a toddler who's going through the terrible twos. You know what that's about, you know, and I'll explain more of that later on. But, you know, everything's known, my will, my way, and everything's, you know, just immediately like shouting and screaming and having to, you know, train this little monster called my son who I love. On the other hand, I have a child who next week's going to turn 16 and we're talking about applying for his theory test. And in my mind, it's like, hang on, we're talking about my son having a driver's license, which I'm not worried because, you know, I, I, he's very competent, very responsible. But it's the idea that where has his life gone? It felt like just yesterday that my 16-year-old soon-to-be-driving son was the two-year-old toddler saying no all the time. And there's something about parenting that although it's hard, although it's difficult, and sometimes we've, we've failed and made mistakes, there's still something about that we don't want to miss out, do we, on the best years of our children's lives. You can summarize parenting as this. Our children are born, and then they're gone. They're born, and, and, and although when you're in it, when you've got a bunch of kids under, let's say, the age of six, it can feel like they're, they don't stop being born and they never leave, but after, after a decade or so, you realize that, you know, simple things that a couple of years ago, we were planning family holidays, and we were thinking about this idea that we don't have very many family holidays left where we're all together as a family, because eventually our oldest boy will move on. And still, I can remember what it was like the moment they were born all those years ago. I mean, oldest will turn 16 this month, and I can remember being in hospital, and him being born, and you know, it's, and I often describe this, it's like the first time you meet your child, it's like it's the first time you've met them, but you've always loved them. There's something about that person being your person, about your role as their parent, that you just feel like, man, I, I've known this person forever. And I can remember the, the midwife handing me this person and like walking away, and I'm holding a person. And then we were in hospital for a few days and they're helping us get in our feet. And then all of a sudden it's like they put you in their car and say, bye. And you're driving home with a person. Like it's a human being. And probably more scary, it's your human being. And I can remember the weight of holding that little baby, even though he was only eight pounds, which is like nothing, which is about four kilos. Like... Even though, physically speaking, he wasn't that heavy, the weight of his personhood. I can remember what it was like as a father just realizing, wow, this is my child. And the reason for this is very simple. Because important things feel heavy. Isn't that one of the ways we measure value? We weigh it, we pick it up. I mean, sometimes you see a piece of furniture or a piece of jewelry or something you like, you think, oh, that's nice. And when you pick it up, you realize, oh, it's so light. It's almost like there's a disappointment attached to when things that are supposed to be costly, expensive, important aren't 
heavy. Important things are valuable and important things bring with them not just the physical weight, but the weight of responsibility. And I can remember, you know, these are not my words, but I remember thinking like at this point, just because I have parents doesn't mean I know anything about being one. And just because I was a kid doesn't mean I know anything about raising one. There's the challenge of parenting. There's nothing like parenting. No one else in the face of the planet is responsible for taking that little person and putting him in a car seat and driving him home for the first time and then being there on the day they get their driver's license to drive off by themselves. It's actually an incredibly privileged thing to be able to shape and support. And one day, I think this is really important, we'll finish off this in the series. It's very important that we see our role as parenting as not being some weird codependence with our kids. Not trying to live out our life and our dreams vicariously through them. But really good parenting is about preparing and setting up and sending our children into the world as best as we can. But there's something sacred about parenting, but the opportunity, the privilege we have to shape, support, and send. It was the theologian, author, Dr. Paul Tripp, who said, nothing is more important in your life than being one of God's tools to form a human soul. And again, although he's speaking in context about parenting, again, like I said, there's so many principles in this series that will be for any of us who are investing in leading, managing, growing people. There's nothing more sacred than being someone that God uses to shape and form another human being. Now, again, back to the beach story. That sounds wonderful. That sounds lofty. That sounds really, oh, heartwarming. But, but isn't there always this tension when it comes to parenting between what is real and what is ideal? It's like, yes, that sounds idyllic. That sounds wonderful. It sounds happily ever after, Disney-like, but, but most of our day-to-day life, especially those who are mothers, is usually spent dealing with the kind of thing that I described on the beach. And I think what we have to realize, and hopefully what we can do in the next few weeks, is that as parents, we're called to live in the tension of both. Parenting is the art of having your feet planted in what is reality, while or without losing grip on what is ideality. It's this idea that even though right now here in my baptizing the lower half my children in the Atlantic Ocean and my wife will open the car and it's like, why am I here? To at the same time, I have this incredibly sacred privilege of helping to shape these young, in my case, boys to one day become men. I think it's more important that for our church because most of you are now aware that our church ex- exists to inspire ordinary people to an extraordinary purpose in Christ. The primary discipler of our kids, the primary mentor, the primary leader, the primary role model in our kids' lives isn't the pastor, teacher, football player, friend. The primary person shaper in our children's lives is us as parents. For better, for worse, it's us. And I think those of us who are Jesus followers, we need to be reminded that the primary person who is responsible in helping set up and shape and support and send our kids into their God-given extraordinary purpose is us. Now again, I know that brings again that sense of weight, but I don't want to dismiss it lightly because it is a privilege. It is 
people might say it feels like a burden. It can feel like a burden or it can feel like something valuable. Valuable things have weight. So today what I want to do is I want to lay a foundation for the next two weeks. And I want to give us three essentials, three really important things, three foundation things that we'll build upon over the next few weeks. We'll get into more practicalities. We're going to talk about at some point the whole tension of disciplining kids and attitudes and all these things and we'll get to that but today I want to lay a foundation for how do we build where does it start how do we how do we even begin to embark on this journey of parenting how do we get help and I want to start off with something that might seem really obvious it might feel old school it might even be offensive in our culture but I'm going to go ahead and say anyway the first thing our kids need to be healthy is they need healthy parents to be in a healthy marriage. Now again, when I was preparing this, I was thinking, do I really want to say that? I mean, can I just trust that people will assume? Do I have to come out and just explicitly say that as a church, we believe in the nuclear family model, a man, a woman, children living together, not perfectly, not necessarily wholly, but healthily, and that when we just deconstruct that model, we live with the consequences of a disintegrated sociological ideology. And the truth is, it may not be popular, it may not be politically correct, and it may not be pro-culture, but I still believe that the, best, the first step we can make to raising kids well is to be committed as two individual adults, as two parents, first and foremostly, to each other in a healthy marriage. Now again, marriage gets a lot of rap uh, in the media right now and culture in general. It was Rita Rudner, the famous actress and comedian, who said, I love being married. It's so great to find that one special person you want to annoy for the rest of your life. And we laugh about it. But the bottom line is, a healthy marriage is still the best way, not the only way, there's exceptions, and I really do, really do honor and applaud those uh, here or online or any of our locations who didn't have the choice and had to raise their kids solo. I mean, you guys are amazing. Let's show our appreciation. Come on. For all the single mom, moms and dads who have somehow raised great kids despite the odds. So that, that may be the exception to the rule, but generally speaking, the best way, and again, psychology backs up, stats back this up, like the best way to raise children is in the context of a healthy family home, in the context of a healthy marriage. Again, I'm not saying a perfect marriage, because there is no such thing as a perfect marriage. <sighs> wow. There's no such thing. And if you know someone that has a perfect marriage, they're a liar, they're delusional, or they're a narcissist which means they're all three. It does not exist. There, there are no perfect marriages. Where you have two human beings living in synchrony, living in, in, in close to one another, it's like there will be trouble. And the best proof of that is how many of you have siblings? Like you love them, they're your own flesh and blood, but sometimes you can kill them. Metaphorically, hopefully speaking. So again, not perfect, but healthy. Now, this is the point where some of you go, especially those of you who are here who aren't Jesus followers or don't go to church regularly, it's like, oh, here we go. This is the church once again 
sticking up its nose, talking down and making us all feel bad. Understand this. One of the coolest things I think about God's word is that when you read God's word, the Bible, the Bible is not filled with perfect stories of perfect people who lived in perfect marriages and raised perfect families. In fact, I would say this, I would challenge you to go and try find one. Find a perfect marriage in the Bible. Find a perfect family. I mean, even Jesus' earthly parents lost him. And we all know the terrors, parents of, of being in a supermarket or a queue and thinking, where's so-and-so? And it's all like, oh my gosh, we're like, and five minutes feels like five hours. Mary and Joseph lost Jesus for days. Like it was by modern standards, the social service might be taking Jesus off of his parents. Like there are no perfect people in the pages of scripture. In fact, we're told that the first family that God ever created was a disaster. Adam and Eve were created to be God's dream of humanity living in relationship with divinity and God created Adam and Eve and, and gave them a place in the garden. And that didn't go so well because the sin of all mankind came into the world through them. And they had a bunch of kids. And to make matters worse, not only were their kids not healthy, but one of their sons killed their brother in cold blood. That's how the human story starts. A total disaster. So we can breathe a sigh of relief that we're not in a, in a place today where there's judgment and condemnation. But we are in a place where, again, carrying the weight of what it means to be a parent, we have to be honest. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, this is the very beginning of Scripture. It says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Adam ever called to rule over things, not rule over each other. And what happens is when a lot of interpersonal relations break down, usually it's because people start trying to leverage or manipulate, or coerce, or work something over people so they can control people. But God's design was that in collaboration, humanity would take care of the earth and steward it as custodians. And that in that unity with God, with the world, with, with, with nature, all those things, that children would be produced. But Adam and Eve, of course, decided we're going to go our own way, and we're going to do it in style. And because of their choice, we all live today in the consequence of that. There are so many instances I can go to story after story after story, and it might sound like, uh, you know, uh, depressing, but actually I, I find great comfort in that when I read the pages of Scripture. I'm, I'm not like this, this, you know, dunce who gets it wrong all the time and all these people have it right. It's like, oh, I see myself in this person. I see my failure in that story. I see God's redemption, God's grace, God's mercy. I see help and hope from heaven available as I read through the pages of these people who made mistakes just like we do. But the bottom line is, even though our culture would like to divorce parenting from marriage, to divorce parenting from marriage is to steal a legacy from our children. Because listen, listen, listen very carefully, I don't want to be offensive, but I want to say something that's true. Just because your marriage didn't work the way you wanted, there's all sorts of reasons for that, and we might do a marriage series one day, or just because in general there's a few relationships around you that broke down, doesn't mean that we have the right as parents to rob the gift of marriage from our children. 
Because chances are, if we can retake control of the narrative with our children and prepare them and train them and help them, maybe they can enjoy the very thing that was stolen from us and one day being able to live in the context of a happy and healthy marriage. Again, I'm not saying parenting without marriage is impossible. I'm just saying stats and research would would point to the fact that it's improbable. Children need an active, loving, present mother and father. And where for whatever reason, whatever circumstances, one or both those people are taken out of the equation, the child will always pay the price for the absence and the loss and sometimes the abuse of those positions. Now, I'm not here to say that just because we're not married or we don't have that scenario, that we won't be able to. I'm saying there's hope and there's help. But in general, as a church, we'd recognize that marriage plays a very important part in the foundation of family and therefore the foundation of sight. And just because reality says, well, you know, I've been divorced, I've been hurt and betrayed, doesn't mean we should lose grasp of the ideal, come on, for our children. It was Franz Schubert who said, happy is the man who finds a true friend. And far happier is he who finds that true friend in his wife. The, the, the genesis for a family are two people making a commitment together in love that's based on a very special friendship. So we believe that it, it's worthwhile, it's, 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 it's commendable, it's, it's necessary, it's, it's sacred to invest in marriage for the sake of kids. And like I said, as a church, we don't want to condemn anyone, but we do want to help. And there's all sorts of resources that we have. If you're someone who's struggling with your marriage and you want someone to help you or encourage you, um, make sure to talk to our Next Steps team after service, talk to one of our pastors. If you're someone that's been through a divorce and separated, and that's always heartbreaking, always nasty, and always leads to hurt, um, then again, we'd love to be here and help and support you. But what we're saying is, is we're believing for your children, come on, that they can have something better that they won't have to go through the same pain and have to learn the same lessons and make the same mistakes that perhaps we have made in our life. The second thing we need then is this. We need honoring relationships. If we're going to lay a foundation for parenting, we've got to ask ourselves the question, what is the consistency, the substance of that foundation? And as a pastor, oftentimes I'm uh, invited to counsel people, whether it be premarital counseling or marriage counseling or marry them or whatever it is they need. And oftentimes I hear people say this, oh, we're looking to get married and then we're going to start a family. And what they mean innocently is when children arrive, then we'll be a family, right? Because you can't really be a family without kids, right? Wrong. You don't start a family when kids show up You are a family when two people make a decision to become one in the context of marriage. And oftentimes what happens is two individuals cohabit, they coexist, they co-live together, but they haven't fully formed something new and unique and beautiful in a marital sense. Therefore, when the kids come, all those gaps and all that individuality and all that sense of selfishness, if I can say it directly, uh, is prized apart because nothing will test your motives and nothing will test your selfishness and nothing will test your laziness more than children. Because there'll come a day, dad, or ma'am, where you're sitting on the couch and you're just done. 
and you've earned the right to sit on your couch. You paid for that couch. Come on, somebody. You pay the bills in your house. You've worked hard, but your two-year-old doesn't understand that and says, I want yogurt. And you know what? If, if they said like that, it would be cute. It was like, ah! You're like, what is wrong with this child? You want bread, you want yogurt, you want this, you want that. It's like, what do you want to be quiet, please? I just want to sit on my couch and drink me tea and watch me telly. It's so hard to do that, but where there's gaps in a relationship, it's even harder. So here's the question. What should our primary, if, if marriage is the primary relationship in the context of family, then what should our primary relationship be built upon? And again, I'm not an expert, but I have some experience working pastorally almost 20 years with people. And I would suggest that a really good start, a really good potential front runner, a really good value to lead with in, your prim- in all relationships, but starting with your primary one, is this idea of honor. Now, in our culture... We don't really understand honor. What is honor? Your honor. Like, we just don't, we don't use it in our, in, our, in our vernacular. We don't use it in, in everyday language. We just, we don't really understand what it, what it is to, to honor. Paul said this to a church in the city of Rome, a church like ours, in his book to the Rome. He said in Romans 12, 9, love must be sincere. There's a whole thing we can unpack there. And what sincere love, in essence, looks like is sincere love, love that is sincere, love that is true, love that is not selfish or self-centered. Real love, sincere love, authentic love, hates what is evil. Like, love, by, by definition, cannot coexist with evil. Love is the opposite to evil. So if love is real, love hates evil. Love clings to what is good. And I love the idea of cling because... Paul writes 2,000 years ago, but we get it. It's hard, isn't it, to do the right thing. It's hard to do the good thing. It's easy to do the wrong thing, the bad thing, the selfish thing. It's hard. That's why it's like we have to to actively cling to the things that are as good. Verse 10, be devoted to one another in love, then he says, and honor one another above yourselves. There's so many things the church is known for that is negative and bad. I really wish the church could be known for this, that our love is sincere. We hate what is evil. We're devoted to each other and we seek as best we can as imperfect and broken people to honor one another above ourselves. Now, what does the word honor mean? Well, if you look up the definition of the word honor in dictionary, there's a whole thing there. The essence of the word is esteem, to esteem someone, to, to recognize someone. I summarize like this. Honor is to hold the other person in greater value than ourselves. It's, it's almost like when we find ourselves wanting to be in the spotlight, wanting to take all the credit, wanting to be the center of the, par- of the party. Honor is the idea that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to recognize the real value and worth of this other person. I'm going to use my moment in the spotlight to point the light to them and lift them up. Not, not, not to put myself down, not that I don't have words, not that I've got some weird inferiority complex. I'm secure in who I am. It's because I'm secure I'm able to honor. Because if, if, if I wasn't secure in who I was, then it wouldn't be honor, it would be, it'd be something else. But because I'm secure in who I am, I can, in fact, lift up the other person. And again, we thought it was all time in our church. This is a value of Lighthouse Church, that we as a people choose 
to be honoring despite sometimes the fact that not all people are honorable. Not everybody all time in all scenarios will do things that are honorable. But honor does not begin in the actions of other people. Honor begins in the heart of those who love and follow Jesus. And where, where we can, as often as we can, we seek to be an honoring people. So whether you're single, engaged, married, remarried, whether you're an employer, a manager, a leader, a mentor, or a role model, we all can lay the foundation of honor in our relationships. And again, if you think about so many things that frustrate us, so many things that break down relationships or cause relationships to to go off track, usually they can be traced back in some way, shape, or form to love and to honor. It is honorable to tell the truth. It is honorable to be faithful. It is honorable to not quit. It is honorable to serve rather than being served. It is honorable to be generous. It is honorable to be be humble. It is honorable to be kind, to be patient. It is honorable to be someone that understands that the whole world wasn't made to revolve around you. It's honorable to recognize that in our solar system, there's one sun and all the planets, you know, orbit it. And the same way, if we try and make our, if we try to make our lives the sun of our galaxy, then the weight of everything that we have is on us. But if we step aside and allow God to be the source of, of our galaxy and to hold all in place, then we're able to recognize that there is help and there is hope from heaven. Honor, so much what causes relationships to break down can be traced back in one way, shape, or form to a lack of honor. And so if we're going to be people in general that live uh, happy lives and have great friendships and build great businesses and do great things and you know, launch great churches and have great marriages and raise great, raise great kids, what I'm suggesting you consider is don't overlook the value and importance of honor in every relationship. It was the American philosopher Ralph Waldo Emerson who said, the purpose of life is not to be happy, it is to be useful, to be honorable, to be compassionate, to have it make some difference that you have lived and that you have lived well. To have kids that honor you means they recognize, despite the fact that you have so many flaws and so many areas which you fail in life, in the totality of your existence, they see something worth emulating and they see something worth celebrating. So we want to be a people that build our relationships on the foundation of honor. Third thing then, and I'm going to close. Third thing that we need to parent well is we need help from heaven, somebody. I mean, I mean, so many people I know who don't believe in God, they've come very close when it came to kids. It's like uh, over the years, sometimes like, look, I don't, I don't really believe what you believe or respect what you believe and that's great and everything. I'm not believing. But I tell you something, there was a nice when my colicky child wouldn't go asleep and I was like, I'm going to either gonna start worshiping the devil or follow Jesus because I cannot do this by myself. We, and here's the cool thing about today. You know, whether you're here in Dublin, Navin, or Dock, listen, we, we're not saying this in an airy, fairy kind of way. We actually believe that God knows us and God loves us and that God is interested in us and that God makes his presence available to us to help us. I remember when our oldest was born, he went through a season where he was very colicky and he wouldn't sleep and he wouldn't stop crying. And this would go on like for hours, yeah? Like anyone had a colicky child? Like 
I, and it wasn't like, wah, 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 oh, how cute. It was like, wah, I was like, oh my gosh, my hair's falling out. And, and I remember like just pacing down the bedroom, holding this person, thinking, I, I'm supposed to love you. This is so hard, you know. I don't love you right now. Like, you're killing me, literally. And, and dealing with all those pe- you know, emotions that we deal with as parents. And I remember in that moment just praying to God. I'm saying, God, like, like you're father in heaven. I'm father on earth. Like, help a brother out here. Like, I'm dying. And I'd love to say that an angel appeared and just tapped in the head and he went to sleep. That didn't happen. God didn't stop the colicky child, but he did give me something in that moment in his presence that somehow enlarged my capacity to deal with the issue in front of me. So I would believe that God would want to say to us today three things. Number one, if you're a parent, single or, or married, whether you're married healthily or unhealthily, wherever you are, God would say, you are not alone. You do not have to do this alone. And more than just do it alone with God's presence, the whole point of church is not that we would be a service, but that we are a family. So you don't have to do it alone. You can choose to because it's a free, free country and all that, but you don't have to. You're not alone. There, there's a God in heaven who knows you and loves you and wants to be involved in your life. And there's a church family here and in Navin and Doc that would love to be able to support you in any way that we can. The second thing I think God would say is this, you don't have to be afraid. Okay. I think that fear thing, and I might touch on this next week, is twofold. It's, it's on the one hand, fr- afraid of the outcome of our children's trajectory, because as parents, we all wonder, don't we? How did I do? How will it affect my kids? How, what the life be like, this general fear of our children's future. But there's also a point where our kids are young, we can be afraid of our children. Yeah. I watch so many parents, not in this church, other churches, and, and I'm watching the dynamic and I realize the person in charge of this relationship isn't the parent, it's the child. And I tell you, that's not good. You shouldn't be afraid of your children's future and you shouldn't be afraid of your own children full Stop. And the third thing God will say is, you will not be abandoned. Maybe your parents abandoned you. Or maybe your spouse abandoned you. Or maybe life abandoned you. But I want you to know that your father in heaven will never abandon you. See, when Jesus was sent into the world, the father did not send his son to holiday with us. I mean, come on, we're all obsessed with the... uh, with the, uh, what do you call it, Mary Poppins idea. It's a magical babysitter who's going to arrive in an umbrella and fix all our problems and disappear again. Like, our, for those of you who all remember Super Nanny, like Super Nanny back in the day was like the place you went to to learn parenting when the step came from Super, Super Nanny. And it's like, it's, it's so good to press the, the Batman button and get a light in the air and get some help. But God did not come to temporarily come alongside us and offer us some words, advice. The father sent his son to make his home with us. I love this. There's a permanency. There's a commitment. There's a longevity. There's I'm with you to the endness in what God did. In John's gospel, chapter 1 and verse 14, here's John said. He said, the word, that's Jesus, became flesh. So Jesus came in a body, God in a bod, not Brian Driscoll, but a body, and made his dwelling amongst us. Now that word dwelling is really interesting. He, he didn't come and, and, and pay a flying visit. He came, 
He came to put down roots. He came to live. He came to show us the way to the Father. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, watch this, full of grace and full of truth. And again, there's a tension, the ideal and the real. What is, we know the word grace, some of you are called grace. Uh, we know the song Amazing Grace. We've heard the word grace to around church. What does grace actually mean? The word grace can be defined as undeserved favor. It's like when someone is just disposed towards you and just decides, I'm going to show. It's like when, when you're in that romantic phase of your relationship, or maybe you will be one day, where someone just chooses, we call it falling in love, but someone just chooses, I'm in love with this person, and I'm just going to buy them things like jewelry and flowers and chocolate, and I'm going to write poems and all that. Come on, let's not lose a lot. Come on, the, the, the art of being romantic, lads. Come on, somebody. Let's start, start writing some poems again. Yeah. Even Google, I don't care. Just make the effort of writing it with your hand. Don't, don't copy, paste, and print. That's really weird. Like, at least, at least pretend you don't know your plagiarizing. You know what I'm saying? Like, come on, somebody. We need to get back to these things. But do you remember what it was like when you're in that romantic thing? And it's like, like just, there, there was no limit to how much love and favor you would show that person. That's what grace is. You haven't deserved it. You can't earn it. I've just decided I'm going to love you. In the same way, God has decided that he loves you. And it's supposed to be grace. But at the same time, there's also truth. And truth sometimes is hard to talk because truth brings with the weight of responsibility. Here's the amazing thing about Jesus. Jesus never dumbed down the truth. But Jesus never turned on the grace either. And this is the tension of the gospel. There are values. There are principles. There is a... I know we live in a world where it's like, listen, I have my small t truth and you have your small t truth and our TT truths can coexist lovely as long as no one tries to bring a capital T truth, we can all live happily ever after. But what that really means is, is your T truth, small truth, is bogus and so is mine. Because if there is no truth, truth, then what's the point in believing in anything? There has to be truth. Gravity is true. Love is true. There's, there's just these things that are true in the same way we're told that Jesus doesn't tell truth, speak truth, talk truth. He is the truth. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And what's so interesting is that is is the tension of the gospel. Jesus is full of grace and full of truth. And if there are going to be people that live well in general, whether at work, in marriage, or raising kids, we need to to live in that tension again of what is real and ideal. And if you're here and not Jesus, don't know Jesus, don't follow Jesus, I want to encourage you. Maybe you've pushed back on the Christian faith because you are spoon-fed truth, truth. Truth, and where truth is poured out with no grace, there is condemnation. And where grace is poured out with no truth, there is chaos. Because it's every man for themselves, however they want, the way they want, because there's no guiding truth. But Jesus, in the flesh, was the perfect embodiment of grace and truth. And I think to be healthy parents, we need to raise kids in the tension of grace and truth. Like, yeah, there's responsibility you need to take as a young person. There's a world we live in. One of the things I tell my boys all the time is if you don't learn it here, you'll learn it in jail. Like, choose your lesson. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you're going to learn this lesson somewhere. I'd rather learn it here in the kitchen and not in prison. You know what I'm saying? So, so like, so there's truth, but it's also grace that we don't, we don't put our kids down. We, we, don't, we don't try to, to motivate our kids 
uh, through negativity or through name-calling or labeling. And again, I'll get into so much more of that as the series, pro- series progresses. But we want to be people as best as we can that raise our kids with grace and with truth. It was Lindsay Bell, the author, who said, the goal of parenting isn't to raise or create perfect kids. It's to point our kids to the perfect God. What am I saying? I'm saying, listen, there is help. And because there is help from heaven and there's help in this room, there can be hope. All is not lost. You are not lost. You're not beyond God's power and ability to redeem. You're not a failure. Not disa- like there's, we fail and our lives can be disastrous. But we are not failures and we are not disasters. Because no child of God that is loved by God, called of God, chosen by God, can be someone that is permanently or perpetually a failure or a disaster. So we want to inspire you today and say, if you're willing to open your heart, there's, there's a fire in heaven who wants to help you. Yeah. But also practically giving you tools and handles over the next few weeks. We want to help you tr- as best as we can. Not that we have all the answers because we don't, but hopefully giving you some tools that you can take home and put to work in your life that will help you raise some happy and healthy kids. There is nothing like parenting. Who else has the, the audacious responsibility of taking a person out of a hospital carcies and preparing them for life to eventually wave them off as they leave you to start their own life in the driver's seat? There's no other privilege like the privilege of being able to shape and support and send human beings into the world. And we all live in the tension to what is real, ideal, always keeping our feet planted in what is real, but always keeping a firm grasp on what is ideal. And always thinking about, despite, and I'll share some of my stories, despite what we didn't have as parents, as children, sorry, from our parents, or what was done to us that should have been done, it's like we now have an opportunity to rewrite the story. But I believe God gave family to the world as a gift. And children are a gift. And they are. I'm telling myself this, Jamie, they're a blessing. They're a blessing. They're a blessing, Jamie. They're a blessing. They're a blessing. <laughs> they are. Yeah. I think with some help and some, some, some encouragement and some tools, we can enjoy the blessing more. It was Mark Twain who said, to get the full value of joy, you must have someone to divide it with. So whether it be your physical family or your church family, we want to live in this existence. So I encourage you, If you're here and you're a parent, well done. Well done for being a parent. If you're someone that operates in the role of a foster parent, a spiritual parent, someone who's a a mentor, a leader, a manager, and you genuinely love and care for those people under your care and you want to see them flourish, well done. The next four weeks are for you. 